Welcome to Tell Us, a podcast all about the world of technology-enhanced learning, brought to you by the Tell team at the University of Sussex, with your host, Dan Axon. That's right. This is the Tell Us podcast. I'm Dan Axon. I am your host, and it's been too long. Welcome to this episode of the Tell Us podcast. In this show, I caught up with Pam Parker, Professor Pam Parker from City University London. Now, Pam joined us way back when we used to all be able to meet up in person at the university for the first in our Dare to Transform series of seminars. Um, It was a really interesting seminar all about scholarship of teaching and learning, or really an introduction to scholarship of teaching and learning. What is it? How do you do it? What's it all about? It was a fascinating talk, and if you want to find out more about that or to look back at the recording of the seminar, then I'll put the link in the show notes. I caught up with Pam along our, alongside our Head of Technology Enhanced Learning, David Walker, uh, to catch up on a few extra things, things like mentoring, portfolios, uh, support for uh, students' as, um, uh, partners, things like that. A few of the themes that came out that I really wanted to uh, to carry on chatting about. I really enjoyed our conversation and I learned so much more in, in taking part in it. So I really hope you enjoy listening to it. So without further ado, over to uh, Pam, David and myself. Okay, so I am joined by uh, David Walker and Professor Pam Parker. uh, And um, this is in the wake of, uh, was it um, the first one we've done? It was, yeah. So David, do you just want to explain uh, what the session we had was as part of the Dare to Transform strand of the Learn to Transform Network. Yeah, so we have created a new initiative here at Sussex called Dare to Transform. It's aligned to our Learn to Transform education strategy and it is effectively a, a community of practice but also a, a supporting umbrella of a series of initiatives to enhance scholarship and scholarly practice here at Sussex. So this morning we were really excited to have the first in our new seminar series and we welcomed Pam to talk to us about scholarship of teaching and learning. And she was able to share lots of great examples of how you can evidence your practice in this really important area. Thank you, David. And we had um, a really great turnout from a, from a range of different schools as well. Um, so, Pam, thank you for joining us. That's um, all right. You know, double duty, did the, the, the seminar and now uh, with Ecology <laughs> for the podcast. Um, before before we get started, would you mind um, answering the dinner party question, which is, you know, someone who has no clue about higher education or education or anything, you know, what do you do? So uh, when I'm asked that question, I usually talk about the fact my role is to help people develop and enhance their teaching and learning. And then I explain a bit more about yeah. my role, because once they know that it's about teaching and learning, they sort of get it. But otherwise, they if you say, oh, I'm a professor of education development, they don't get that at all. Excellent. Thank you. That's 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 helpful. Um, <clears throat> so we had the seminar today and it was around, you know, what is scholarship of teaching and learning? Um, we're not going to go over that because, um, you know, people can watch the video back as well. But there were a couple of strands throughout that uh, I thought were interesting to follow up on. Um, one of which was this idea of students as partners um, in curriculum development or design um, or assessment design or whatever. Um, but the, particularly around the design of their experience of teaching and learning. And you talked about the challenges you faced in recruiting partners. Mm. Um, 
So, and, and previous to that, you'd mentioned that this sort of idea of scholarship of teaching and learning had been going on a while in the States. So is there examples in the States where students as partners has been really successful, can you think of, or where um, initiatives have shown the students have seen sort of real impact on what they've been doing as partners? Um, I think, I mean, there are some really good examples here, actually, in the UK. Okay. So yeah. Birmingham City University had a really good programme, well, still have a really good yeah. programme of students and partners, and they were really successful in getting that off the ground. I think sometimes that's dependent upon the people leading it and the investment of the institution. And I think it was five years ago they invested a lot of money in those projects they employed a couple of students to work with the centre to actually develop the projects and they've been really successful in getting students to redesign modules to develop all sorts of initiatives so you know there are places where it's worked really well Lincoln's another place Lincoln University so I think it's about the university and the investment and the message that's given around doing those things. Sure. That's interesting. So what kind of activities uh, in Birmingham, for example, have the students been doing? You know, what, what, what has that looked like on the ground for them in terms of how have they um, done an activity that's is it impacted their current experience or are they working ahead to the next year's cohort? Yeah, usually a lot of these initiatives are working ahead to the next uh, cohort and I guess that's Part, partly one of the things that sometimes students find quite difficult. Sometimes it'll make... So like me discussing the law example, yeah. you know, if students are involved in things that have a longer-term impact across their programme, then that might work for them to have some impact and see that impact themselves. And it's getting that balance, really, because often the things you want students developing are for the next group of students. Sure. And if... Uh, so academics that might be listening or teachers, tutors, uh, professional service staff listening to this who like the idea of working with their students to enhance their own experience, is there something that an academic could do tomorrow in their sessions without having to redesign the curriculum from the top down, you know, with all the policy and process in the background? What could, is there things an academic could do tomorrow to try and work with students on, on their work, do you think? It depends. Yeah, there are. I mean, you can do small things. So you might have a module where you've got a few sessions that maybe you haven't necessarily planned the content for and you want the students to tell you so they could design with you what you might put into those sessions. There could be things around the assessment. So you might have an assessment already set, but maybe your criteria aren't as clear. Students could help you redesign the criteria or at least write some guidance or maybe a marking rubric around it. So there are things you could get students involved in that are quite small to start off with, but might make a difference and might make them feel a bit more positive and involved. That's right. Thank you for that. Because I think one of the things that um, particularly people maybe listening to this podcast will be really interested in is what they can take away as well. Because, you know, you talked about CMA earlier and policies and procedures and these things can take time and they're there for a purpose. But trying to work around them can be quite challenging at times, mm. can't it? Um, let's move on from students as partners. David, unless there's anything you want to say on that. Okay. Um, let's talk about um, mentoring because um, I know this is something that's just started here, hasn't it, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to say a little bit about the mentoring programme that's just started? Yeah, I mean, we recognise here at Sussex that we have uh, a large number of colleagues who are on a educa- education and scholarship career track, and we need to make sure that there is support available to help them to plan their scholarship journey uh, and navigate what is perhaps an unfamiliar field to them. So we are putting in place uh, a mentoring programme under the umbrella of Dare to Transform, where more experienced colleagues on that career track will work with more early career academics to help them 
to plan what we are tentatively describing as their personal scholarship plans, to think about uh, their scholarship activity. Uh, some of that might be quite public activity, some of it might be quite private, uh, helping them to realise that scholarship takes many different forms. It's not just about research, uh, it's about your contributions to your professional practice, so whether that's through conferences and events, you know, even if it's just contributing to blogs. Uh, so we uh, have recently done a, a training program for the first group of mentors, and uh, we are going to soon look to pair them up with mentees, uh, and we will begin a cycle of doing this perhaps once or twice a year to make sure that that support's in place. But I think it's a really important initiative to have to support people on that career track and I know Pam this is something that's quite established across the sector. Yes yes it is so uh, lots of different mentorships used for different Mm. reasons but yeah certainly around subtle particularly around where people are perhaps newer at doing writing of some kind putting them together with someone who's maybe already got a publication record is a really good way to actually support someone. And it might be that you end up doing joint article or it might be you're just supporting that person and giving them feedback on the article, but it is a good way to help that person uh, move on. And and I suppose it goes without saying that mentor, mentoring is such a critical step in this because if it makes a difference between someone's confidence of engaging with scholarship or not, then um, having the right mentor for the right person uh, is is going to be critical. Yeah, and uh, and many new academics actually often feel particularly around some of the subtle work that their their work isn't that publishable, it's not that valuable, people won't be interested in it. So actually having a mentor that can just help you and support you and, and say, actually, other people do want to hear about that work and it is important that you share it, is really good for that person and helps their confidence. That's interesting, and I think... Um, I've only just turned my mic on. Um, been able to hear me uh, through your microphones, but I, I wondered why I was so quiet and the gain wasn't going up. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a classic uh, mistake. Anyway, um, mentoring, yeah. So this idea that um, it, it just needs someone to say that you, it's, you know, what you have is good and to put it out there and to practice and, and ex- experiment with it, uh, which leads us on to this idea of clubs and journal. Uh, mm. Journal clubs, I think you talked about, yeah. but clubs around academic writing or paper writing mm. or even reviewing uh, journals or papers or how to blog or whatever that might be. Um, it's I get a real sense that um, scholarship is as much about um, scholarship of teaching and learning as it is building networks mm. uh, and um, just having uh, people to bounce off. And having the time to actually read. So many of my colleagues talk about the fact they don't, I mean, I think there's a perception they don't have time to read, and I think yeah. it's how you balance that. But there is an issue, particularly for um, academics to who maybe are doing their discipline area, to be reading the stuff around learning and teaching mm-hmm. and using you know, mm-hmm. different technologies or whatever, and they talk yeah. about not knowing. So actually, one of the reasons we set up the Journal Club was we could have a different theme. It made us think about having two articles, gives people an opportunity to read, but then we felt that by posting blogs about that, it would reach a wider audience because not everyone's going to be able to come to the journal sure. club. But we do post the links so everyone gets those articles as well. So they might they might read the blog post following the journal club, having not been, and think, oh, actually, maybe I'll go read those articles, which is fine. Yeah, that's great. And um, have these sustained then? So at the beginning, did you find that... Uh, um, I don't know in your case, but did you find that the attendance has increased over time or engagement has increased over time? Or uh, 
I think it's variable, and sure. you know, I think it depends on what's happening in the university course, at different yeah. times. Yeah. Autumn is always a busy term, so attendance is less. Sometimes it's about the same too. You know, some themes yeah. are more interesting. So, teaching excellence the other week. I had quite a lot of people come along to that, which was interesting, but I guess it's quite topical at the moment. Academic literacies that we think is quite important and was about, you know, supporting students, developing them. I didn't have such a big audience. Mm. So, again, I think you have to think about how you're badging those things as well. Sure. Okay. thank you. Um, In terms of um, support and mentoring, um, you know, we're focusing, of course, on those who are on the um, the teaching and learning tracks and the scholarship tracks. Um, and then there's, of course, the wider professional services support network around that. Um, do you very much see, um, you know, professional service colleagues, colleagues as part of this, uh, along with um, the academics? Um, because, of course, they're there to support them. But they also need to be involved in the conversations to be able to support them as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so we uh, we do have professional colleagues who take part in mm. some of that mentoring uh, and they're welcome to any of our activities. We have professional colleagues come along to some of our journal clubs as well. Mm. And we've uh, started to get a bit of a move in the institution for HEA fellowship. So mm-hmm. some of our course admin team have been mm-hmm. successful in doing that. So they, they have an equal role really around mm. learning and teaching and many of them you know, have been involved in some of those developments and we try and encourage particularly colleagues who've been involved in those initiatives like maybe some of my uh, educational technology colleagues they publish you know probably as often as some of our academics now because of the work they're doing in the area sorry I was going to say it's something that I'm quite passionate about because it's a misconception you know if you look at the UK professional standards Mm -hmm. framework it makes very clear that it's focused on those who teach and or support learning so in terms of what we're doing around scholarship this is very much open to the wider community everyone who has a stake in the development of educational practice should be engaged in the scholarship of mm. teaching and learning. And we, we do see that here, don't we? Because on the, um, certainly the PG Cert and the, mm. the starting to teach as it was, um, it's changed name, has Fundamentals it? of Teaching in Higher Education. Thank you. Um, there's, there's, there's many professional services colleagues on there, isn't there, as well? Absolutely. So, and it's great to see that, whether that's colleagues from the library or the <coughs> Careers and Employability <coughs> Centre, um, everyone who is involved in supporting the development of education here at Sussex and in any institution, I yeah. think, should really be involved in these these supporting initiatives around educational learning and teaching. Which is to say, so the Data Transform Network is open to anyone that has an interest, right? Well, you know, we talked about um, partnerships with students, uh, and that is really really important and you know certainly at Sussex we've made it a uh, part of our education strategy that students will be partners in the big decisions that impact on their education uh, but I think we need to look at partnership working generally across the institution whether that's across disciplines but also across services with different people working in different spaces uh, I think there's a lot of opportunities there actually mm. to see some really innovative projects. Yeah thank you um, both for that and um I did say I wouldn't manage to get through the podcast without talking about digital skills. Um, I've bored many people with those two words. Um, But it is something that that fascinates me um, because it is so um, integral to a lot of everything we do almost every day, um, whether we're in education or otherwise. Um, And we talked, um, or sorry, you talked earlier about uh, portfolios and colleagues Mm -hmm. building up their portfolio Mm -hmm. of work. And of course, a portfolio can be many different things. It could be a video, it could be an audio, it could be printed bits mm. of paper and or collages or zines or whatever. Um, so how, do, I feel like I'm shoehorning it a little bit, but I think <laughs> hopefully you'll get hopefully you'll get my point. Is um, 
um, have you seen examples where colleagues who want to build portfolios um, have needed to develop their own skills as, a, as to do that? Has it put people off? Is that part of the conversation? Has it come up as an issue at all? Because um, I know that where we've worked with colleagues on portfolios um, in various uh, disciplines, um, there's been work to support the staff and students to learn how to build a portfolio, depending on the platform. Is, th- is there a barrier there? Is that something that needs to be considered? Um, doing so. I think again that depends on you know the portfolio and what they're being developed for so our health school obviously use portfolios quite a lot for the students uh, and they are online you know and they're used very well across health and there is support for the students to develop and do that. I think less so staff use them although it's one of the things that I advocate on one of my modules which staff love mm-hmm. Um I do think people should be thinking about keeping portfolios and thinking about their evidence of their practice. But again, I don't mind whether that's paper or whether mm. it's online. Now, we've got a mix of stuff. Some people have used, you know, WordPress is a good way of keeping it, you know, on a blog. Yeah. Some people have used some of the electronic portfolios, although they're slightly more out of fashion now, aren't they? Things yeah. like Mahara and that. Portfolios are being used on some apprenticeship programs, so I think it depends on the portfolio and the complexity. I think the biggest issue for staff um, around doing it is not just the digital skills, which I think are variable, without a doubt. I think it's the time, because again, people feel that it's adding yet something else to their day, and why do they need to keep a portfolio, and who's going to look at it? And I don't know about you here at Sussex, but we have a very, very long academic CV that staff have to Mm. keep at City. Now, that would be an ideal thing to turn into a portfolio, but it's in a different format. So it doesn't really encourage people Mm. to do the things that you would do around a portfolio, like add your evidence. You know, it's just a list of lots of things. And I think that's Mm. perhaps missing a chance. I think you said something uh, interesting earlier, Pam, in your your seminar about your own teaching portfolio that you keep for your professional requirements I don't know if you could tell us about that yeah so I uh, so I'm a, a nurse by background as well so I'm still on the register of nurses because I, I get involved in uh, teaching in the health school but I also um, ha- we have NNC registration for our teaching program at the moment um, so I do keep a combination of that so I have to keep my own CPD record mm-hmm. so everything that I do whether it be attending a conference giving a talk or something I write something about that I take photos you know it's a living portfolio I have to do it every year but I also have to um, use feedback that other people have given um, about things that I might have done with them so anonymously I reflect on that and what it means to me but I also um, all of my teaching so when I do walk out of the classroom and people think this is a bit odd when you're an experienced teacher because you don't do that. I will go away and write notes on my teaching, uh, you know, my mm-hmm. PowerPoint slides and say, that didn't work, that did work. So that when I next go to do it, because you don't remember, that's mm-hmm. what I say to my colleagues, you won't remember the next time you come to mm-hmm. teach it in six months down the line. So I do sort of have a portfolio where I keep an idea of the things that work and don't work. I think when we see or when colleagues see value, they will find time. I typically find that. And if you if you look at parallels in the, the research domain, I think you'll see lots of examples of colleagues who've created their own websites, they'll have Mm. used WordPress, uh, and there are parallels there. Mm. Uh, And I think it will take time for us to um, help realise that on the scholarship sort of pathway. But certainly, I would advocate everyone in, you know, keeping or maintaining some form of teaching portfolio, Mm. because whether it's for promotion, whether it's for evidence, for fellowship applications, having this at hand that you can draw upon is incredibly valuable. Mm. Thank you both for that. It's really interesting. And um, 
Yeah, thank you for letting me indulging my uh, my question there. Um, but I think that you touched on it as this there needs to be a sort of almost frictionless um, solution to however they want to do it. Whatever works for them, they yeah. need to be able to employ the tools. Um, so in a way that doesn't sort of go, oh, oh I, can't, I can't do this now, I'll do it tomorrow. Mm. And, then, and then it doesn't happen, does it? So it just needs to be able to easy and whatever works for them. Um, I've run out of uh, questions. Uh, we've got time. If there's anything else you'd like to add or talk about or... Um, Develop, um, build on that it's been a great about. conversation yeah thank you very much for joining us Pam I much appreciate it and to our uh, rare guest David as well <laughs> who joined us um, today thank you both thank you okay thank you <laughs>